This is Kirsty Allison in Berlin on a balcony in the east and I'm looking down towards the Spree River with Bergein in between. I'm sitting with Rob Doyle. He's the author of my favourite book so far this year called Threshold and it's published in the UK and the US by Bloomsbury. So he takes throne as a leader in the new school of digital existentialist modernists who take a post-millennial ego and ask questions about the author's very physical space upon the page. I find it a very self-conscious play to be so self-aware of one's musings as the main act of writing that it becomes so centre stage of a story that riffs around like Sun Ra between the realities of floating self-aware on a dinghy in a sea of cosmic pulp simulacras. So this novel, like all good novels, is always new if it's doing it right. It's playing with something and doing something that's not been said before, a novel, nouvelle. So, kind of in a post-COVID world, as fire tornadoes burn, increasing street militias around us and power struggles can be witnessed in the death scroll. There's a new wave of the author reflecting from the stage you recognise as they explain what it all means, like academics ingraining themselves on the page and channeling the white light, aware of the ironies of self from all sides of the prism. Certainly that's the stuff I've been reading of late. And if you follow me, I kind of share those sorts of recommendations. I'm just doing some long, long lot of reviews at the moment for a publication that's coming in November. But some of the writers come out demonstrating their problems and personal privileges or lack of them. So to get at the end of the pages still liking the writer, is an enigmatic and masterful stroke. So Rob Doyle is very tall. He appears at the door wearing a black polo neck and black pegs looking total jasmine because later tonight he'll be on stage with a strain of the fat white family in Neukölln playing percussion at a reassuringly fun evening where the super spreading qualities of the flute can be ignored as we travel in an alt reality away from the claws that birthed us all expat life where universal globalisms of me too blm turf wars squish in the QAnon maelstrom of denial and manipulations of the maleducated grip and sense for logic mean that the novel has not felt as relevant and required in counterculture in my lifetime. I remember Tessa Williams, one of my first editors, urgently passing me a copy of Trainspotting, its Silver Skull cover becoming the book of the 90s. Heroin chic rose as Britpop banged the national drum and as a kind of distraction from the government reclaiming their streets after the neo-hippie threat of people raving their lives away, hugging in fields and driving away in buses, like the ones pictured in the second Cold Lips book, Who's Fucking Planet, by Martin Goodacre. 
Threshold updates that cover with a hologram in an era where the individual is manipulated into the spectrum of hashtag identity politics and good, bad, like, dislike, polarizations mean we are the product smashed beneath a data-driven duvet in a privatised society. 80% predictable, asking if that is too corrupted as any other statistic. That's what we told we are. We are 80% predictable. And the novel remains relatively data-proof. It's nuance, it's strength, the searchable. Between the lines, facts, life far truer than any single sentence or status update. Percussion, if you can, it's like, never really played percussion in any band in my life, but I'll give it a go. So, uh, I feel there's only so much I can screw things up when I'm just playing a, a jambe, you know. So that's going to be a laugh. <laughs> nice. Because yeah. gigs over here are sort of happening, aren't they? Kind of, yeah. I haven't actually really been to any since coming back. You know, myself and Roisin, we moved back here in uh, early July, the start of July. And I haven't been to any gigs, but I've heard this stuff happening. I've been to more, like, parties, you know, that are kind of playing by the rules you know you have to register online and they have a very strict kind of limit and all that but like I'm sure you've noticed coming from the UK the Covid situation is just so well compared to Ireland I mean in Ireland it's fairly dark now you know it's just it's a heavy time whereas here in Berlin it's just I don't know I think they just I don't I can't really explain it fully but for some reason they just seem to have Covid under control a hell of a lot more here so there's that bit more freedom. I don't know if it's because they got like track and trace up and running early or what. Well, track and trace is a sort of seven percent failure. Or yeah. Is it ninety four percent failure? Dominic Raab just said oh, this afternoon really? of, of like you're only going to have the false positives. Oh God, yeah. Ninety four percent. Wow. So none of them are actually working. Right. I've known people who have had it over here at a really low level. Right. And sort of on working on film. Yeah who have had sort of super sensitive tests okay. and have come positive but haven't really felt much. Okay, yeah. So I don't know if there's like a really low level here. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to know. Or kind of how it's spanning out. It's bizarre. It's hard to know. And a friend of mine, the first time it's actually come close here in Berlin to, not even come close, but like that I've heard of somebody having it was a friend of mine. She told me recently she got it and she was a bit down on herself because she was going, yeah, I got out of the party, so it was my own fault. But she had the full-on symptoms. I was giving her this whole Catholic guilt thing, saying, you know, all through lockdown in Ireland, I was very rigorous about it, and I did the right thing, and I was living on my own, completely away from everyone. But since being back in Berlin, because it's just so much more relaxed, I've been that bit, you know, looser about it. And I worry that, like, what if I'm an asymptomatic carrier and I've, I've spread it? I mean, I've tried not to. I wear the mask and I do all the right stuff, but, you know... I've mingled more than I had done in Ireland. The culture here, though, yeah. what I notice is everyone wears a mask in public spaces. Yeah. Certainly down in Mitter. Yeah, everyone definitely. masks up if they're moving around a restaurant or even oh, yeah, gig, yeah, yeah. It's all put over. a mask on. So it's just yeah. logical. And even yeah, on yeah. the tubes here, yeah. people wear masks. Yeah, I mean, you get, you'll get fined on the spot. Yeah. 
you know, in London, the staff who are in most contact with people, it's only hairdressers that aren't wearing them. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, no. Here, like, you will get fined and told on the spot if you're not wearing a mask on right. the U-Bahn or the Eskran. Yeah. Um, but she said she said that everyone else she knows who got it at the same party, none of them were asymptomatic. They all had very definite symptoms. I've so. known people super ill here as well as back in London. You know, it's, yeah. defi- it's not like it doesn't exist. Yeah, like, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, yeah. It's, this, it's the same, but... but it's kind of coming here for me, however long ago it was, it was, um, it was just like coming to a promised land where it didn't exist because I was visioning it as being somewhere that was under control, yeah. away from the sort of chaos of Brexit and COVID colliding yeah, and gammon. So yeah, yeah. I was kind of just delighted to get to somewhere. I went straight to the lakes when I first oh, arrived. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, okay. So I was just in a different world. Yeah, yeah. it does feel like yeah. we kind of felt that too. You know, we came here and for the first two or three weeks, we were just still in a very monk-like state of insular introversion and we didn't tell our mates we were here even we were just keeping it all quiet and you know chilling and then gradually we just kind of started going out into the city and feeling that sense of like oh there's this vague sense of normality here which is nice but i have to say uh not to like spit on your country or anything but yeah all those problems in the uk now i kind of wake up every day and feel grateful that i'm not from britain just it seems such a troubled place to be you know i mean ireland is far from perfect I'll, I'll i'll criticize ireland all day and all night but it just seems there's this horrible conflict. i don't want to be a, related to it and i kind of want to stay here at the moment yeah i'm kind of embarrassed to see it from this distance yeah it um, must bring you down though when you're in it though it just seems yeah. so dystopian well it was it i mean i was like... in peckham for lockdown yeah and it was horrid was it was it, like, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's just no, the politics is getting so nasty, and it's really hard to keep it out of your vision. Yeah, yeah. And not, and just not, not feel it. I find yeah. that really difficult to turn it. To yeah, turn, it turn off. down the volume yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah. you can imagine, and it's just that with, and then the Brexit, and now this rule of six and everything. Even the lads, and the grouse, acid grouse music is what? sort of allowed. You know, they're allowing. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so like the groups of thirty yeah. grouse hunters, right. but anyone else, six people. Yeah, or yeah, the rule of six. It's just so. It just sounds so draconian. And I don't know, but like Ireland is not doing all that well either. So you know. That's weird in Ireland though, it because was. it's quite a tight. Yeah, yeah. In Ireland though, the worst thing seems to be it's bringing out everybody's inner cop. You know. So you have this, like, Ireland is fucking, what I hate about Ireland, why I always leave it is because it always has that kind of curtain twitching, you know, oh, the neighbour, and it Mm. used to be that, like, the Catholics doing Mm. it, you know, oh, like, what's Mrs. Brown doing, you know, she's having an affair, oh, tell the priest, and now it's the fucking, like, 20-something generation doing it on Twitter, and now the COVID has given them all this excuse to be, like, sanctimonious and puritanical, and, I mean, obviously, they, well, people, you know, want to do the right thing and think that but just bringing out that cop the inner cop like the surveillance yeah. thing i think we talked yeah. about a bit when i chatted with yourself on the phone mm. uh when i was down the park that time mm. talking about a bit that 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 but that just seems to be something that's becoming more prominent in ireland uh from what i can see you know well there's all sorts of behaviors that are becoming more extreme as people cling to mm. a lack of kind of truth yeah. when the matrix management system mm. is so to it seems designed so that there is 
no fact to cling on yeah, to. Yeah. So what do you hold on to? You hold on to an inbuilt behaviour of fear, don't yeah, you? Yeah, so exactly. Kind of, it's a, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and now we're moving into this as the winter approaches and the autumn. It really feels like we're moving into this new phase of the plague, where the governments of the world are almost acknowledging that they're out there. They're, they don't really know. No one can agree on even basics anymore, and so that's trickling down to civilian life, the citizenry. You know, this sense that like, okay, we're, we don't actually know what to do next. You know. We're making this up as we go along. I don't so. think they have to have uh, have to say very much. Um, yeah. yeah, it just it just feels frightening. It feels like nothing, mm. nothing. It just feels like the civil war is coming. Oh, yeah. and, and the states. Yeah. I don't know if you obsessively follow the American narrative yeah. as much as I do, but yeah. like civil war may be on the way over there, and like that. It's like even a few months ago that would have sounded hyperbolic to say it but now it's, it sounds like something that can literally happen in the next well with egypt kicking off and you see it in lebanon i was yeah. in lebanon for a month last year yeah. six weeks and you know you see how easy that it becomes that's the only retaliation you have is one of violence yeah. i've always been against violence as yeah, a yeah. sort of post-acid house kid yeah you know? yeah, yeah 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 uh, who's supposed to be all into unity and stuff yeah. but it's like, well, how long are you going to put up with it? So it has to become violent. Mm. And when that gets manipulated, it gets really, uh, really scary. Mm. And I think we're just, we're not, we're only at the beginning of it. Yeah, and yeah. it's kind of, it's going to get, I, I can't help but feel, I just have a set of sense. And I don't know if I had kids or something and yeah. I had some optimism, I might be a bit different. Yeah, I don't know. I have a pretty fucking dark view on the whole thing these days. I just like not to be too pessimistic and all that, but it's just hard. Like, and the social media thing, like, the genie is out of the bottle and there's no putting it back in. And so our lives are ruled by these platforms which incentive, which actively incentivize the worst in our nature mm. on an individual and on a societal level because there's more profit in it for them. And so everybody is pitched against everybody else like you've got just everything is so factionalized and so tribalized and so you've got like in britain in america this kind of like loathing and this absolute lack of dialogue between you know the left and the right and like women hating men and men hating women fucking racist getting more racist anti-racist getting more like paranoid and militant and all that it's like yeah, you know, people are making a lot of money on this and that kind of antagonism and conflict is it's built into the, the, the foundations of the platforms that we now spend most of our waking lives on. So it's hard to see how it gets and, and then you have climate change and everything like I mean who knew who knew we would end up living in such Fire tornadoes. Yeah. Like fire tornadoes. Fire tornadoes. Yeah. Fire tornadoes. At this stage, it's like yeah. you're taking the piss. You know, fire tornadoes really. <laughs> really, you're on top of, that now. Yeah, on top of everything, <laughs> yeah. like fucking four horsemen of the apocalypse coming <laughs> over the sky, and you'd be like, oh yeah, well, yeah, I sure. guess. Yeah. Huh? yeah. Yeah, man. I don't know. Yeah, the QAnon thing. I mean, just the natural acceleration of Cambridge Analytica yeah, yeah. to being such a mani so manipulative. Yeah. And then you kind of, I used to think, right, so those stupid people have just been manipulated, they haven't done their research properly. Yeah, yeah. 
but now I just don't like them very much because of Brexit and it's yeah. it's like wow I'm going to have to decide whether or not I'm going to take European identity sure I'm going to be okay I've got some Irish blood I've put my application in there so I should yeah. be alright and right. I should just skirt it through yeah so you mean for a, for a passport for yeah, yeah okay yeah, yeah but I mean if you lose your European identity which is what's going to happen we take the same status as Americans yeah 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 so kind of becoming anything other than a Schengen visitor to Europe yeah. becomes the reality unless you have property and you can kind of double pay tax or sort of find yeah. some sh Tory shimmy to sort yeah. of go, go through the waves so yeah yeah it's uh, yeah I kind of I, I feel like I need to sort my um, change my residence for a while at the mm. moment yeah okay yeah yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, man. I guess it's still nice to be post-Brexit. It is nice to be Irish in that sense, you know. Yeah. I'm so critical all the time of Ireland, but like, it is nice not to have that. At least we don't have that looming over still, like leaving the EU thing, you know. The EU has personally has been very good to me, you know. Mm. And like, just even living here with the ease, you know, it's uh, yeah, it's not something I would want to give up. I don't think people understood. That, that was what they were giving up. No, no, surely they didn't. Yeah, I mean, just like you say, Cambridge Analytica, just the level of manipulation of truth and reality and all that. Mm. The chickens will come home to roost if there is some sort of civil war scenario, you know? Yeah, and I can't see, sort of post furlough in Brisbane, I can't see that there's going to be much alternative because yeah. I think a lot of people are going to go bankrupt. Yeah. Having taken all the loans out and reinvested that in fintech or something that doesn't really exist. Yeah. And they'll just let their workers go, and then people are going to start losing their houses. People are going to start buying up their houses cheap. Yeah. And kind of that's sort of end of days really for yeah. people. So it's yeah. going to have to be a shift. Yeah. And some sort of universal basic income in theory, but yeah. I can't see that that's going to in the current system where everything is sort of matrixed yeah yeah i can't see that it will um happen that way yeah. but yeah it's just spectacle but it's it's kind of i find it exhausting yeah. kind of trying to because it it's all different every day yeah and everything's changing all the time i think so yeah mm. yeah, yeah. So, so we met because of your book threshold right yes, because yeah, i fell indeed. in love with this yeah. book oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah on dj mag yeah, and yeah. I, sort of, I was like, great. wow, I that sounds good. I saw a review on it somewhere. Yeah. I was like, wow, that sounds <laughs> up my street. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I felt uber cool getting in DJ Mag. It's like, felt like that set me apart from all the other Irish writers, you know, writing their novels. It's like, yeah, well, fuck you, bro, because you didn't get DJ Mag. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got a competition with the Irish. Uh, I'm joking, you know. <laughs> oh, no, I do, yeah, I guess <laughs> I do. I say I'm joking, but I'm not <laughs> yeah. joking at all. <laughs> No, but yeah, so, what, that was uh, a few months ago, yeah, so the book is out about seven or eight months now, God, yeah, I should really get on with my life and, you know, start putting out another one, but, uh, 
Sometimes you've just got to live, haven't you? Are you on yeah. deadline for getting a day on your case? To Not really, no. I do. Bloomsbury do want another novel from me, but there's, uh, I mean, I, probably in the contract somewhere there probably is talk of a deadline, but it's it's quite relaxed, you know. Um, I, I actually did write another book during lockdown, um, but it's quite, uh, it's, it's a smaller project, you know, it's kind of a non-fiction book um, that... It wouldn't be like a. It wouldn't be you know. Wouldn't be the next, the next like statement book. Let's say the next big you know novel. So uh, I'm hoping to put that out with a kind of Irish publisher. So I haven't been entirely idle this year. You know. Um, also, like Threshold took three, four years mm. to write. Four years really. Mm. And so there was an element of. Uh, Kind of wanting, wanting to get behind it and kind of promote it as much as possible. And do you beat yourself up about not producing stuff? Hey, do you give yourself a hard time? Not really. No, I've, I'm. I mean, I, I always kind of worry about it. I wouldn't say I beat myself up over it, but I do worry. I have a, a fairly, as probably comes across in the book threshold. I have a fairly. Um, significant hedonistic streak you know i kind of do like the, those sides of life the night the night you know and all it all that goes with it um so i sometimes i often worry that you know that will become detrimental to like productivity and all of that but I, it, it's just a balance i think worrying about it helps me not to let that happen you know uh, but i'm always kind of working on something like i write uh, book reviews a lot, you know, maybe somewhat less this last few months because I've just been doing other stuff, you know. Um, but in general, in terms of writing fiction or writing, you know, novels or book length stuff, I have a f I think I'm far less kind of self criticized, critical, and less neurotic about it than I used to be. But you'll realise that's probably it, your third book in, Yeah, third book in, and I just, I believe in, you know, writing when you have something to say. And, you know, I don't know, I'm not a Buddhist, but I've spent a lot of time reading Buddhist texts and being around Buddhists, and, you know, they have this whole idea of the noble silence and of, like, the kind of Eastern, Eastern philosophies tend to be more about receptivity and all of that, and... Maybe I'm just letting myself off the hook, but that's attractive to me. The idea of, you know, um, c kind of waiting, waiting for it to build up, waiting for the express, the need to express. I think it's a real privilege to be able to it, do that. It, it is, yeah. Rather than just bash it out industrially, because I think yeah. you can read like that too, if you're not too careful. Exactly, so. exactly. And I don't know, I just look at, you know, I'm always, I always see myself as the kind of student of the, the you know, the great writers who I love and whose work is Such meant. Such as who? Well, uh, I guess Jeff Dyer is a big one. He's, you know, he's become a friend. He, he's hung out here before the, you know, great English author. But, oh, many, you know, Welbeck. But I was going to say that one thing that they all seem to have in common, a lot of the writers I love, is that kind of every book counts. You know, you get the, like, Michel Welbeck. It's not I every. Love do you? Yeah, yeah. I do. yeah. I love him. yeah. Not so much his recent stuff. But yeah, the, the last stuff, book I thought yeah. was his first yeah. one that I didn't actually yeah. love. Um, but that I used to be it. like that about Martin Amos as well. 
And because I love Wrecking Ball, you know, yeah, a really yeah. good publisher. Yeah. So, uh, and they publish great people that I respect. So, yeah, uh, yeah it was supposed to be set to be a third of September, yeah. but that's gone back to next year now. So uh, because of COVID, plague times, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's still happening. Though. Yeah. Okay. Well. That's yeah, I spoke to the Shane, the publisher, before I left, and yeah, yeah, they filled in some arts council for. Yeah, I mean. I'm assuming that it's the right thing to do because now you're having this lot of books all coming out in the autumn because you know they were all cancelled during the summer. And yeah, so, there's 700 yeah, at the beginning of September. You don't right? want to be, yeah, you know, just, that, no, yeah. no, that's a, it's yeah. happening in France too. But, yeah. You know, I've heard about that. There's just this. I think my book was supposed to come out there in translation, which I'm really happy about in autumn. But they've done the same thing; they're putting it back to next year. Fair enough, you know. Uh, so much is getting lost at the moment. There's so many great films, and like the Painted Bird is being released soon, but that's going to yeah. get lost in the sort of cinemas. And yeah, yeah. Great stuff. Yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. What about German? Is your book getting? Is Threshold coming in German? No, not yet. You know, I kind of, um, I'd love that to happen. You know, obviously, um, but I kind of feel like for a confluence of readers somewhat frustrating reasons my books haven't been as fast to find translation as uh, I would have hoped you know because um, that's where the money is as well isn't Germany, it Germany yeah well yeah. there's just so much more um, I had this really as well you know it's like obviously Covid times people have real stuff to worry about much bigger problems than mine but it was frustrating in that my book came out in the US Threshold came out in the US on what I'm thinking was probably the second worst day in the 21st century, the, the first being 9-11. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. they came out there on like the 30th of March, which was just uh, when New York was going into a complete panic and lockdown. And just when, you know, the whole of America was having a kind of nervous breakdown, realizing the scale of what was happening. And, uh, but the book, it was, causing traction you know the New York Times gave it a big review and there were all these articles about it but they just all happened against a backdrop where it was very hard for anyone to give a shit about a novel you know so it's like oh god the timing was far from great and I felt like in the states you can really sell significant books that yeah. make your life that yeah. bit easier because yeah. the finances yeah. and all that yeah. but you know yeah, you just have to be philosophical about these things. Like everyone on the planet is having some version of the same bad trip, you know. So we're all we're all going through some version of that. And obviously, some people have it far more brutal. Like imagine if you were an artist or something, and you know, your first ever exhibition, or if you're a filmmaker, you know, and you spent like two years making some film, and then people don't even get to see it because of this thing. What about your film? Isn't your first book being done as a film? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's all done, and it's it's actually been shown a couple of times already. It hasn't been. Um, <coughs> it's not on general release yet. I think that's going to happen by late this year. You know, assuming that cinemas are, although they're starting at least here in Berlin, they're kind of opened up again. Yeah, that movie Tenet was out and all that. People mm. were talking about it, but. Uh, yeah, so it was premiered, it's here at the Young Men, with this amazing cast, Owen Mackins, the director, 
it's got like uh, Dean Charles Chapman, you know, the lad from 1917 and Game of Thrones and Finn Cole from Peaky Blinders and Anya Taylor-Joy. Uh, she's from like The Witch. And she's amazing in it, actually. But, and uh, Ferdia walsh Pilo. And were you involved with writing it? Kind Did of you? was in the early days. Yeah, I was involved in like the first couple of drafts of the screenplay and then Owen I was co-writing it with him he's the, the director and he's a writer himself and then he just long story short his history I was just not so in, I I spent five years living in that story writing the book and so by the time you know it was released and all I was kind of beyond it you know I just kind of moved on internally so he had more energy to bring to it really yeah. So he kind of took the the helm and uh, wrote, you know, translated it from book to film. Um, so I didn't have all that much to do with it, but I did when they were filming it. It was two years ago now. They were shooting in Ireland. Um, it's kind of Irish American production, but the majority of the shoot happened in Ireland over the summer. And I did fly back just to check out the sets, and I had a couple of cameos which was nice I'm like dancing in the in the in the nightclub scene there's a big there's a climactic scene which takes place at like a rave an illegal rave on the uh, in Ireland and it gets very pagan and very murderous and mad and intense so me and all my mates rocked up to the huge uh, there was this abandoned hotel that they had kind of turned into this vast bear kind like rave and they go there's like dozens of extras in wearing like gear from 2003 when the novel is set and uh, so me and my mates came for a cameo took some mushrooms and some MDMA got her dance on it's great it was a lot of fun so I got to see that when it, it premiered recently at a Galway Film Festival. I love the Galway Film Festival. Yeah, you've probably great. been, yeah. have you? See, I've yeah. never actually been. But oh, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah. And it's a big... It's, I it's guess really it's American, big, actually. Is it? To, yeah. yeah. You kind of get some big hitters <coughs> going in and sort of yeah. other Irish roots. See, so. I think it's kind of the big yeah. one in Ireland as well, yeah, you know. Is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but because of the, 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 you know, because of the obvious for the first time ever this year, that happened online. So which is obviously not ideal but the plus side of that meant that I could stream the premiere or the, the festival premiere here in Germany so it was fairly weird this was I was still living in Kreuzberg at the time this was like August I guess and uh, I got to yeah I got to watch it you know just on the on the laptop while it was streaming from Galway it was weird I got really nervous before it you know I needed a couple of couple of beers just to level me off because it was like it's such a it's a novel you know as you know from reading Threshold that I tend to be fairly personal in the stuff I write about and I tend to go into it's at the heart of truth though in writing isn't it sorry at the heart of truth is writing yeah yeah exactly yeah you know, so and I tend to go into the wounds and the, mm. the, the pain and the confusion as well as the humour and all that you know it's, but like there's a lot of um, and so this first book was it's far more like of a conventional fictiony novel than Threshold which is you know far more overtly autobiographical 
but it, but here the young man was still totally rooted in you know the lived experience of growing up and all my mates kind of going dangerously off the rails and all that and it goes into some fairly disturbed and disturbing places mm. so just before the film I kind of got a sudden wave of anxiety about you know what it was going to be like to watch it uh, so it's kind of a nerve shredding experience but ultimately exhilarating then you know quite moving as you can imagine strange just strange to see these characters that you've dreamed up now taking on somebody else's vision and interpretation um, and just such great actors like some of the performances were stunning like the guy who plays Kearney I mean they were all great but the guy who plays Kearney who's this really kind of psychopath he's the, the, the malevolent charismatic kind of psychopath the one who goes further than all the rest of them and kind of takes them into his own demonic realm really um, Finn Cole playing him just had such presence and physicality and charisma. It's really interesting to watch. And they elevate it more than you could have imagined, I guess. Yeah. Word, yeah. yeah, and yeah. just slanted a different yeah. way too. I mean, the, the aesthetic is quite different. You know, he was definitely going for a, a, a kind of his own, you know, vision of how it could be, how mm -hmm. it could translate into cinema. So. And do you know what's going to happen with it? Is it going to get a general release soon? Yeah, so yeah. I think so. I think it's been doing the rounds of a few more festivals. They had it at uh, a, a, an Italian festival there a couple of weeks ago and before that at a um, Czech film festival. And I'm told that the general release, I think the, the, the deal and all that is all pretty much touch wood but i hear it's all pretty much in the bag and i think i'm kind of just waiting to hear when the general releases happen i think it might be um either late this year or just to start the next that's the last i heard now this was a few weeks ago that i heard but uh they're definitely they're definitely on track yeah it's um, amazing to get a proper theatrical release yeah, on anything yeah it would yeah. be great yeah yeah i think covid has set everything back as usual you know so many fields but uh they seem to be definitely on track to get that happening mm. so yeah i hope you'll I can't enjoy wait it if you go see, see it. it yeah i yeah. think th thematically yeah. i think you'll definitely be interested also the, one of the cool things about it is the soundtrack is so great mm. soundtrack is banging like it's a mixture of just like really great bands and like electronic stuff and then the composer who kind of it's kind of done almost like, you know, do you ever watch like a Gaspar Noe movie where oh, wow. almost the soundtrack never kind of stops? Like yeah. it's almost like you're in a club, yeah. nightclub type mm. experience where the, the soundtrack, each track just kind of bleeds into the next. It's kind of done a bit Amazing, like that. Yeah. So it has this yeah. kind of immersive, tripped out mm. kind of vibe to it. Uh, yeah, they've got like Fontaine's DC around there, this kind of really exploding uh, Irish band and like slow dive around there and like primal scream and all manner of stuff and then some really like banging techno stuff and yeah and kind of ambient and mm. yeah so I think you'll, I think you'll see something in it anyway. mm.
Cool, can't yeah. wait. Yeah. And do you read then when you're writing? Do you watch movies? Do you read when you're writing? Do you have to cut it off? How do you manage yeah. all of that? Yeah, uh, I do. Yeah, I I hear. I never could really relate to those authors who say that when they're writing they stop reading because they don't want to be influenced. I'm I'm quite the opposite. I I've always I've always just like immersed in influence and inspiration. I don't really. I don't feel that there's some precious, you know, integral self that needs to be protected from uh, contamination by influence, you know? Quite the opposite. I, I kind of have always worn my kind of influences and inspirations on my sleeve, you know? I don't try to, like, cover my fingerprints like that. So uh, the more, the better, you know? The only thing is when I'm really writing something, it tends to be so consuming in terms of time that I won't have as much time to read as I otherwise do because I'll wake up in the morning, I'll work on something and then I'll kind of keep editing it all day, you know, and I'll just be kind of so trying to get into the rhythms of the sentences that by the time I go to bed, I won't have had two hours to kind of put aside to read. Mm. But that's, reading is definitely the, the constant fuel. And films too, I mean, just because the summer has been so kind of extroverted and sociable I haven't been watching as much but myself and Roisin you know my, my girlfriend who's also a writer uh, we tend to be fairly voracious in uh, watching films TV shows um, often pretty trashy you know that's our we have kind of a fondness for like lurid sci-fi and you know horror a lot of horror so you probably probably be surprised at how um, lowbrow my tastes go when left to their own devices you know whereas in, in reading I guess I, I read fairly broadly but there'd be at least as much non-fiction as uh, as fiction what am I reading now some of it then is obviously like obligatory reading you know like where I'll read something that I have to review, or somebody might ask me if I, you know, blurb something. I'll read that. But like at the moment, I'm reading Porzio Malaparte's uh, Diary of a Foreigner in Paris, which is just, yeah, that's that's a great, fun, that's great fun. He's a he's a strange one, kind of morally ambiguous, kind of swashbuckling aesthetic. Just you know, after the war, he goes to Paris, and so I always have a few things on the go. What else am I reading? Oh yeah, that Marky Smith book I started yesterday. That's a hoot. Um, I was reading Ingeborg, Inge, uh, what's her name? Bachmann, Ingeborg Bachmann, the Austrian novelist. She wrote uh, Melania, kind of a novel of psychotic collapse, really. But uh, that's on the go as well. I don't know if I'll get to the end of it. I've kind of run out of energy, about 70 pages to go, which happens to me a lot. I give up too many books without getting to the finish line. You know? Yeah, but if they're not serving our purpose, let them Yeah, really. life's too yeah, short, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I kind of, yeah, I love that feeling of having triumphed over it. Yeah, so, you know. I'm reading Samos Samos Topshvik or something at okay. the moment, Lacanian theory, and it's brilliant. Oh God, it's about really? the theory. Wow. And it's, it's mind-blowing in really? terms of... <clears throat> 
capitalism as yeah. a sadomasochistic construct. Wow. So, but is yeah. it somebody who can turn Lacanian theory into the readable stuff? Because oh man, it's it's like being back at university right. and having to digest stuff that's blowing in my mind. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I've also got another book on the go that's the same subject right. on by Polito Press. Okay. So. Yeah, I'm kind of bouncing between those, and it's yeah. good because it all turn. It's all about language and yeah. kind of how language gets used to create slavery. Okay. So yeah, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. I'm having my brain yeah. um, bounced a bit. Oh, I love when yeah. I love when that happens. Uh, yeah. God, what have I read? I've read read some good stuff recently, and then I've struggled with some stuff as well. Uh, I came away with like Deborah Levi. Oh, um, right. Some essays that she's written because I've never read oh, her. Right, yeah. Some Rachel Cusk. And oh, yeah. Because I felt I needed to. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then yeah. Some. Reads the new Rachel Cusk ones, the kind of. The uh, trilogy. Yeah, I, 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 I really like them with some fairly serious qualifications, but they're they're pretty, pretty special and pretty unique. But, um, yeah, she's good. I just kind of feel she's the, the English bourgeois, you know upper middle class yeah, garden I like her universe as the that kind that of feel it, yeah. of us English yeah. middle class suburb yeah that's exactly what it is which yeah. kind of brings out the like Fenian you know yeah. Ra- yeah, no, rager yeah. in me a little yeah, bit yeah. but that's yeah. it she's a, she's a pretty powerful uh, she has a cool philosophical kind of detachment in her writing that's, that's, that's I like how easy it seems yeah 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 she's no, she's onto something with those. Do you rewrite? Do you re? I rewrite like a motherfucker. Do you? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, I mm. yeah completely. I mean, yeah. Well, it, it, I guess if if you mean by rewrite, like kind of edit, edit and like yeah. rework yeah. and rework, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll do that. Like, I'd say I think I've said before that like ninety percent of the writing for me is that really is, you know. And I I kind of I'd almost go so, so far as to say that that's when for me. My stuff becomes writing. Yeah, my my stuff's rubbish if I don't spend some oh, time yeah, on it. Oh yeah, yeah. I know. I'll I'll spend obsessive amounts of time on it. You know, it will be, it will it will be chiseling and chiseling and chiseling. Yeah, but novel writing is chisel writing. It, it yeah. is. Chisel, it is sculpture. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that's yeah. the and it's just like just see it, like you know where you, if you are chiseling, you're sculpting something. You just see the shape coming out more and more, and it has more and more vitality. I love that feeling. That's the most satisfying part of the gig yeah, for me. Yeah, getting it's, it out. Yeah, yeah, where where you just where it takes on more and more vitality, and you realize, oh yeah, it's it's feeling more and more alive. Now. I love it. I like. I think it's like Scott. I I you know I painted and stuff, but I just love the I lo- I love the precision of getting it right. Yeah. And, um, that's the thrill of it, really. Yeah. Like I'm, I've, I was just saying I've reviewed this uh, David Keener extra book oh, yeah. at the moment. Yeah, I've just yeah. been doing. Mm. Um, yeah, just writing that in twenty cents is uh, is an art. Yeah. Really. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, this is like a master class in his thing. It's just like every sentence averages at five at five words. Right. I mean, it doesn't go beyond that. Wait, and no, I kind in, of have in, a feeling in, he's been yeah so focused right on just making sure that that is the case. Okay. Of yeah. Every, every five five words wow. average. Wow. So it's kind of exhausting and annihilating. Yeah. But yeah. as a as a novel, and in yeah. the sense of a novel being nouvelle. Yeah. It's it's clever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. 
but I'm not that. I don't think I'm. I'm that um, structured. But yeah, mm. yeah, it's clever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I've got to read them. Um, yeah, but yours is that. Uh, yours is very clever in the way that it uh, drifts. You know, it's like a total drift. The whole thing. Yeah. But you. But it's solidified, isn't it? From yeah. Subject. Yeah. I think so. I mean, I. How did you do it? Did you kind of shift it? Did you say, right, I'm going to put all the mushroom bits in the mushroom section? Mm, not really. No. It was each chapter I kind of wrote as if I, so. There's eleven, you know, chapters, and then there's these italicized epistolary interstitial sections which are you know we gradually realize are kind of the narrator or me or whatever we want to call it kind of addressing a, a an unnamed um woman an older woman who's also you know a writer and we kind of figure this out as it goes along but each section i kind of wrote it in one each section i wrote independently of the rest almost as if I was writing a kind of miniature novel in themselves and I knew very early on like the first chapter that I wrote chronologically was also the first chapter which is the magic mushroom one. and kind of I initially wrote that just as an essay for uh, the Dublin Review back in Ireland it's a magazine and I kind of knew as soon as I wrote it that I was onto something that would become the kind of book I'd had in mind for a, a, a decade, but I didn't know how to do it. You know, I, when I was much, when I was younger, I read Jeff Dyer's book Yoga for People Who Can't Be Bothered to Do It, which completely knocked me out. It still does. It, you know, that's kind of a book that's essentially about nothing, and I read it with such great admiration because I was kind of going, "How is he getting away with this? Like, how is he? How is how is this working? You know, he's literally narrating." A ping pong match he has with some like you know Cambodian guy in a, in a hostel you know as if it's the most important thing ever and you kind of like he's almost provocatively irrelevant and yet it's gripping and it's it's fascinating and so uh, I kind of had it in my head for ages that like why can't I just take the kind of drifty kind of inconsequential materials of my own life and instead of you know constructing a dramatic narrative with all these characters why can't i do the same thing you know my interests are somewhat different and you know it goes into some fairly crazy metaphysical places and there's a lot about drugs and a lot about sexuality and stuff but um but i did know that i could use um my own life then as a kind of and, and structuring it, I knew that it, if each chapter was its own narrative and had its own kind of momentum, that it would be not all that difficult to stitch them all together in such a way that they form this kind of elaborate, pulsating, psychedelic auto-portrait, um, which is also a kind of travelogue and a, you know, a kind of existential um, kind of quest narrative almost in some ways you know but i that i'd just be able to have great fun like milan Kundera for years i've been quoting his line where he in um it's probably the art of the novel or testaments betrayed where he says every novelist should try to find should should, should forge a form which allows them not to have to stray even by a sentence from that which fascinates them and i think that's such a great thing to aspire towards um, because 
you know, as soon as you get into elaborating plots and characters and all that conventional scaffolding of the novel as it's kind of handed down to us, you're very much in danger of having to drift away from the core stuff that fascinates you. So the challenge then is to be able to write a book, like I like to think I've done in Threshold, which stays focused purely on the stuff that fascinates me, but crucially, nonetheless, stays as riveting to the reader as it is to me, you know? Uh, because if you decide you're not going to bother with all the plots and the characters, you have to be doubly sure that you're still seducing the reader into turning the page. Um, but I kind of knew that if I got the tone right, you know, if it was this candid, revealing, kind of um, uh, very introspective, uh, humorous kind of tone, that that would carry the book. And, you know, I think. I've not read anything like it. It's like a kind of collage, isn't it? A drifting collage. Really. Yeah, I think when you wrote about it for DJ Mag, you mentioned jazz as well, you know, which I was kind of going, oh, I like that. Yeah, it has a kind of, you know, you listen to like a nice sax solo or something like that and a great jazz musician and you kind of, you're, you're drifting on it and, you know, it kind of takes you into all these strange places, um, even if, no I love the, the sort of the coolness of it too, where it was very kind of the actual style is is easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's something I'm It's not trying to be super impressive. No. That's what I really dig about it. Yeah, and that's something I'm kind of proud of too, is that um, I, I guess when it comes to reading, I'm such a voracious reader, but I'm also so impatient and I kind of want I love when writers kind of take care of the reader in that sense and where they're not where even if it's like it doesn't dumb down anything where it's like as completely unashamedly intellectual as it wants to be but the prose where hopefully it's just a pleasure to read and so uh, I kind of feel I think the great contradiction of that book is that while the prose hopefully as you say people will find it really goes down easily and it's very kind of warmly conversational in a sense uh, to get that level of kind of relaxed that kind of relaxed tone took a hell of a lot of work yeah, you yeah, know yeah, I bet it's so just to make it yeah. feel that kind of relaxed yeah. and to make the you know to kind of lure the reader in like that you really had to you really had to kind of go hard at every sentence and make sure it was just right mm. so that every kind of bit of timing works well I, you know it's not for me to say that it yeah, works no, it or not does. but You've yeah done a yeah really great job on it yeah so did that, you work on it full time did you do three years on it or were you doing other stuff more like four time? i mean yeah. i wouldn't say full time because you know you, you're in between bits and you know you'll you, you know and i wrote chapters and i spent months on chapters that never even made the final cut mm. you know like I was doing all sorts, and I was writing all manner of essays and reviews and, you know, other stuff in between. But um, I, uh, I, so I wouldn't say full-time, but it was definitely, you know, the, the big project that I was always, it was always in my mind, you know, particularly the last couple of years, you know. I was always having it print out, and I was always kind of standing over it thinking. But there were lots of, like anything I write, there's so much trial and error. And there's so many kind of false, um, f false avenues that I went down that I then had to come back from. A lot of time wasted and all that, but that's okay. That's just how I work. It's not really time wasted, you know. It's just, yeah, it's just 
process. Yeah, it's the process, and mine is all trial and error, really. You know, kind of. Do you do typing, typing, typing? Do you do uh, longhand? Do you? bit of both you see I don't really have like I'm not precious about one particular process you know some days I I, I would do a lot of uh, writing longhand just because um, I tend to write out and about you know I'll go to cafes a lot you know or I'll be if I'm traveling because travel is such an essential part of the book you know going to the coast of Spain to visit the kind of sites related to Roberto Bolaño and then coming to Berlin and you know all these chapters set in Paris or in Bordeaux or in um, Burgundy and uh, South America and whatnot so there was a lot of travel in it and so I'll kind of be on trains a lot riding there so a lot of it will be you know when I get really inspired by a particular idea I probably won't have my laptop with me but I will have my notebook and so I'll just fill a few pages. Do you write on your phone? Never on my phone, no. I've never made that kind of concept. You know, the most I'd write on my phone is uh, just like a, a snatch, a phrase, you know. And even then, I rarely do it, you know. Just at the odd phrase. Um, no, photographs on the phone would be more the kind of thing, you know, just to kind of jog my memory a bit. Did a, did a lot of that. Uh, That's interesting. Carl Hyde does a lot of that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Underworld, you know. That's oh, yeah, like his yeah. daily... Thing is that right. he'll take a, he'll go somewhere, he'll set himself a prompt that's often visual, yeah, and then he'll go and sit somewhere, have a coffee, and then he'll make himself write about it. It's a daily really? exercise, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then he blogs it. Does yeah. he? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite interesting to look at because he's prolific in yeah. what he's producing towards lyrics. Yeah, generally. yeah, yeah. And they, yeah. I've read enough interviews with them to know that they have some interesting concepts as regards how to go about produ- producing stuff too, yeah. and how they, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I think it's fun to sort of experiment with all these different ways of, yeah. of doing it. And I think that's, I think we're at a really interesting time in literature right now because it's away from the sort of searchability of totemic language mm. in status updates. So, yeah, yeah. because it's, you can't just lay it down and say, yo, that's a piece of fascist bullshit, that <laughs> woman isn't a real woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't say that. So, yeah. Because it's too much to search, you know, yeah, it's too yeah. complicated for a prompt yeah. to do that yet yeah. and call it out. So I still think that literature is like the last freedom yeah. of arts, really. Yeah, so do I. I think in the last few years, like, I'm so, I mean, I, I think we're all so ambivalent towards social media. Like, it, I can't imagine there's any sane, intelligent person in 2020 who thinks social media are unequivocally a good thing you know but I, I think I have a fairly like everyone else I'm compromised I'm, I'm ambivalent and so I use I don't use Twitter anymore because I fucking I really load the platform virulently but I use some you know I use the Instagram and whatnot and I kind of like that but anyway my point being that I have a very 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 critical take on these platforms I think that they're so pernicious in so many ways and over the last few years as that's become more and more evident to everybody and the effects it's having on our politics on our cultural politics on how we just enslaved by like yankee cultural hegemony and all that stuff um i guess my faith in literature um in the in the broadest sense of it has been 
um, intensified, you know, because it does seem like, um, it just seems like it, it, it kind of almost starts to seem countercultural, you know? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, like the culture, yeah. the, the, the mainstream of the culture is sanctimonious, immediate, virulent, um, condensed, commodifiable opinions, you know? Mm. And then the kind of narcissistic sharing and um, voicing of those opinions to kind of... Um, to, to, to up our own, you know, desirability and all that stuff and, and all of the kind of just herd bullshit that that leads to. Uh, and so writing and just the dishonesty of so much contemporary discourse, you can't say, nobody really says what they fucking think anymore and because it's just too fraught, you know, you're too, everyone's it's living. too risky. Yeah, it? we're all living with the fucking guillotine over our heads, yeah. you know. Yeah. Not literally, but obviously, but you know, yeah, but it does. It there's a culture of fear. Open. Yeah, you're you likely a very free person yeah. to be able to have a free opinion, exactly, yeah. or a very rich person, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so it's real, like you know, I, I like there is a culture of pervasive fear and paranoia and of inform snitch, snitch culture. Man, I fucking hate it. Like, I'd prefer a criminal to a snitch, you know. It's just that's that goes deep with me. It's I don't know, a proletarian thing or something like that, but that's just so much in the culture now that and dishonesty you know performative performative niceness and all that shit it's like that's not what i got the books for i got the books because i want to confront the real the mess the mess of life you know and i want to see an artist you know struggling with not just the glowing angels of their nature but the torments and the demons and all that stuff and so writing remains uh, a zone where that's still possible you know uh and like even the stuff i've written about in i mean threshold, you're not really doing that in the same way though because you're not using tropeable characters in the same way because it's quite avant-garde what you're yeah achieving. yeah so you're not quite going down into that mine no not the that same get pulled out later yeah 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 i mean i i guess i've done it both ways you know i've written but i like to think that like I remember before Threshold coming out, worrying and not really worrying, but being aware that, you know, there's stuff in it that's kind of maybe damning of me, particularly, you know, according to the 2020 um, orthodoxy of opinion that we're all supposed to, you know, loudly subscribe to. And I remember my editor saying, oh, you know, this could, this, she loved the book, but she was like, this could really, you know, cause a, a ruckus or whatever and certainly like people some people have been damning of it especially like online i read a few you know online reviews and some people just loathe everything that i've said and everything that i seem to In stand for just that it's like um what the doctrine just, of it not being a traditional story no not even okay. no more just like the the kind of attitudes and the emotions that come out you know about sex about women about wow. politics yeah but you know but this is fine you know? it's not like but the point is um i still feel that okay people might have strong opinions about it but i still feel that literature isn't quite censored yet the way yeah. the rest i think there's a kind of i think it's happening because self-censorship is such a massive thing in this culture of cowardice fear snitches narcissism you know just fucking groupthink and the hive mind and all that i think but i still think that it's a space where there's a certain leeway given to 
allow an author to really go into the mess of their own self, their own subjectivity, and be be a bit more honest about it, then you can be online. You know, yeah. online is no longer a place of re of any real honesty. You know, mm. you know we're too. The, 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 the stakes are high. You get you get ruined. You know. But also, even in music, I think because we're approaching a place where Spotify is so owned, and they're going to be able to create an AI type music. Yeah, yeah. Based on taste yeah. or what has been pumped to you by the playlists and things. I mean, I hear yeah. it here in the young, kind of playing on their get yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever. I don't know if my taste is just kind of <laughs> different. But. I'm kind of like, wow, where is that going? And I've been chatting to this guy who wrote um, this book on AI. Yeah, all right. And uh, one about Spotify teardown too. And it's kind yeah. of when you collide those things together, you end up with a kind of programmable yeah. music as interface sort yeah. of situation. Yeah, yeah. So kind of being able to grow up, you know, and catch yourself up from yeah. being squished down by the hegemony beyond mm. that when something is in the interest to be sold it's very difficult uh, as a musician to survive yeah, yeah and particularly now with no gigs and all the rest of it i think yeah. it's 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 kind of real of yeah, how yeah. do you how do you pull yourself up from that yeah so yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. interesting musicians are in a dark place aren't they like that's another thing i'm yeah. you know i'm i'm I'm, uh, I feel writers are in less dire straits, even though ever, there's no industry in the earth that isn't touched and damaged by what's happening, really. I guess, I, I guess also, bad. though, it's just the romance of being a musician. There's always been the possibility that you might lock out and be able to buy a house in the south of France, yeah, you know, yeah. but with, with writing, it's less so. And yeah. that's always that, you know, there's always been that character of the writer who's writing by candlelight. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I don't know. You sure you get the troubadour yeah. as well, but I don't know. I, I think that a lot of the reason that a lot of musicians do it, and I think there was a survey recently that said 64% of musicians are giving up because they're not making any money. I heard about this, yeah. And But when you bring, I was thinking about that. Somebody, I didn't read that article, but somebody told me about it. And I was thinking when you add that to the class element, like it seems to me that from what I know about the UK, um, music as a as an industry as an art form is all was already so class segregated pre-covid you know where because britain is becoming so just unequal and dystopian that the only people who could afford to you know put in the time and all that to become musicians were rich kids you know yeah, and I now mean, with covid that's just gonna yeah. intensify like the romanian pro musicians are yeah. now just getting uh, yeah getting they're yeah. leaving it because they're do they're doomed you know it's uh, it's not not great you know if 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 um if 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 rich and um you know dangerous and interesting art is what you're after you know the less the more kind of homogenized it becomes like that the less you're gonna find what you're after you know that's why i like it over here i kind of like that there's a bit more experimentation yeah but i see more experimental art happening over here yeah than i do back in london yeah it's so yeah it, yeah it's still yeah. great here and everything about the culture they have here is still so just genial and lovely to me but that said the kind of uh corporate tentacles and gentrification and all that is very real too here and even prior to covid 
that was happening and like the clubs were already on the threat and stuff and like the nightclub culture here is such a treasure in the world but now that's COVID has just intense accelerated that kind of process of corporate blandification I wouldn't be surprised if in five years time it, that, that art scene that you find so intoxicating might not be quite as um, strong you know I think that'll be universal. Yeah. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you for your time. Oh, thanks, yeah. Kirsty. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Yeah. Um, and you are doing this show. Yeah. On next Wednesday. My, is it next Wednesday? Yeah, Thursday. my first like real IRL show since this whole plague shit kicked off. So uh, yeah. thanks for having me on that. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Can't wait. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Thanks for listening. I'm making this on Sunday, the 29th of September 2020 in Berlin. The music is by Gilderay. We're on residency in Mitter at the New Titan Gallery as guests of the wonderful artist Daniel de Picciotto, whom you can hear a past conversation with in the trenches of all your favourite podcast outlets via Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, many more, and our own coldlips.co.uk. I also share these on kirstyallison.substack.com where I gratefully send out thank yous of my new poetry book. Now is now a collection since 007 to paying subscribers. On Wednesday here, Rob Doyle joins me, Kirsty Allison, to perform in the gallery with the writer and songwriter Kieran Leonard of St. Leonard for a night of modern poetry. There are currently some spaces remaining. It is limited and doors will close at 7pm. If you're not in Berlin, we will be streaming on social from Cold Lips, Daniel De Picciotto's and Gallery 46's and probably my own social media scrolls. Donations to artists are always appreciated and you can do that via studio at coldlips.co.uk and PayPal. Likely you'll be listening to this after though and I hope you'll find a recording of the memorable occasion. The residency here has been wonderful and do come and support this space near Titan. It's the last remnant of the joy of reunification between East and West Berlin after the wall fell in 89 and the free fall of all the former no man's land in the area known as Mitter was attained by squatters in buildings such as Tuchel's own corner, now largely a hotel, and a model for Shoreditch's site of Red Gallery that I wrote a book about, and Trezor nightclub in a former bank vault. So without records of previous families lost in the war and partitioning, everything could be rewritten, and Neurotitan created a gallery space bar and art spaces which remain underground, showing the works of Genesis Peerage, most quality street artists and radical contemporary artists you will find. Danielle's show here is mainly work from the past seven years and I beg you to see it, buy it and support it whilst you still can. But do drop by and always kind of I always check this place out whenever I'm walking past to see what's going on. I know this is sounding like one long cultural shopping list, but also Rob Doyle's book, Thresholds. Get it from an independent retailer and keep an eye out for the forthcoming film version of his debut, This is Ritual.